Bringing you the latest research, tools, and common sense tips you need to get and stay healthy. It's Talk Healthy Today. Here's Lisa Davis. I spend a lot of time thinking about food. <laughs> food, glorious food. Remember that? I think that was Oliver. Anyway, I used to go to a lot of musicals when I was growing up. But food is very important. It affects our health. It affects our well-being. It affects so many things. And somebody who knows a lot about food, I would call him a food shaman, as a matter of fact, is a wonderful Michael Fenster, MD. He is a board-certified interventional cardiologist and professional chef. And uh, he is my friend. And I'm so happy to have him on. Hello. Which I call you Michael, Dr. Fenster. Hello. <laughs> Hey, Blaise, so you could call me whatever you want as long as you don't call me late for dinner. Thanks so much. It's uh, <laughs> great to be with you. And, and yes, that was definitely Oliver with the famous line, please, sir, may I have some more? May I have some <laughs> Never before has a boy asked for more. I know. Let's just talk about musicals. <laughs> my favorite is My Fair Lady. Okay, now let's jump into this. So I told, I mentioned the food shame and the book, your new book is food shame and the art of quantum food. So of course, my first question is what is a food shaman? Well, you know, a, a shaman is someone uh, traditionally who walks, be, you know, is, is literally sort of means the walker between worlds. And so it's somebody from a community or a tribe who would go out and seek information that was needed for individuals and for the community at large and bring back that healing information. And, you know, as, as a cardiologist, I, I certainly get the whole healthful eating stuff, the data, the trials, the recommendations, the guidelines, you know, all that stuff. But as a chef, I get the other world, too, the pleasure principle, the food experience. Um, you know, we, we, unlike any other species, don't just eat to survive. And so I kind of walk between, you know, these worlds with a very unique uh, viewpoint, understanding the importance of the totality of the food experience. We're a whole lot more than RDAs and certain nutrients in a test tube. And so we have to understand our food experience in the context of our own health and our wellness, which, as you know, involves more than just being physically fit. Oh, definitely. All right. So my next question has to do with your title. What is quantum food? So quantum food is kind of, if we think about uh, where food has, has come from, the clean, authentic, real food, but we're reexamining it in a new light. And so, you know, as science has progressed, as our knowledge has progressed, um, it has to be one of evolution and inclusion, uh, not just sort of denigration and saying, you know, this doesn't work, and that doesn't work, and we reject that because it doesn't agree with our preconceived notions. You know, and if we take a step back and we kind of look at the history of physics, well, that explains a lot of kind of what we observe. But quantum mechanics or, or quantum theory, that gets to the reality of the situation. It's the reality of the universe. It's what really is. And it's full of weirdness. Um, you know, it's full of all these sort of weird uh, types of relations, you know, quantum entanglement and Schrodinger's cat and all these, you know, seeming paradoxes, which is really a lot of uh, what one feels when you look at kind of the food information uh, that's out there today. And how do we make sense of that all? Well, one of the keys of understanding 
the the universe, the reality of the universe, is that it's relational. Nothing exists in isolation. Literally, uh, an electron, until it interacts with another particle, it doesn't exist. So we don't exist in a universe of things. Things are defined by their relationship to one another. And we have to understand that our relationship with food is exactly that. We exist uh, with food, and food, the food experience is about this relationship, uh, relational um, uh, existence that we have. That's the reality of being a human being. We don't exist in isolation from the planet. We're a microcosm of this macrocosm that is the good earth. We only need to look to our gut microbiome to get an understanding of how intricately and intimately we're tied to all that goes around us in our environment. And we don't exist in isolation either. We're part of a society or a culture. As much as we think we're unique individuals, our very thoughts are impacted by the culture and society that we're involved with. So quantum food is really the reality of the food experience. Um, that's kind of a long-winded explanation, but I get so excited when I talk about it. I <laughs> know, I like it. You know, in the book you write, uh, we do not need more RDA, superfoods, junk foods, food porn, or ultra-processed synthetic diets, while our modern age has yielded useful information by fractionating the food experience into its com- uh, component parts and testing biochemical pathways in sterile test tubes. We have, in the process, fractured ourselves. I love that. And And let me give you a great example that probably a lot of your listeners are really familiar with, the recommendation to avoid saturated fat. So how yes. did we get there? There's a whole story in the book that has a lot to do with politics. Yeah. But when we look mm-hmm. at the sort of the science, what we find is that because of a prevailing viewpoint, almost as if we were looking to find uh, this information, a preconceived notion, what we would call in science an a priori assumption, Uh, which is not the way to do good research. Uh, When we looked at the effects of fats on cholesterol and lipids uh, and other uh, cardiovascular risk profiles in a test tube, what we found is, wow, you know, you eat saturated fat, your cholesterol level goes up. But, you know, that's not what we find when we look at the studies and we look at people eating real foods that may contain certain types of saturated fats. And so when we examine these fats in isolation, um, removed from the, the human being, and we try to put it back together, we find that there is often a disconnect. What happens in the test tube isn't what happens in a human body. And uh, then we can lose perspective and kind of set our, our ship off on a completely wrong course because it's based on misinformation or a misunderstanding of the actual relationship. And so that's what we've got to get uh, to the root of. I mean, nutrition is certainly important, and it helps us understand the interaction of our bodies and food and how food provides life. But we also have to understand what we live for. Uh, there's a lot of yes. things that impact, um, you know, our response to food above and beyond an RDA or a vitamin. Yeah. Well, you know, in the book, you talk about sad but true, the legacy of the standard American diet, the unhappy triad, salt, sugar, and fat, uh, Ultraman, the sad effects of ultra processing. 
And then I like it because then you go into food value and you talk about meat and poultry, fish and seafood, grains and seeds, eggs and dairy. And, and it's it's nice to show like what happens if we're, we're looking at whole foods versus all this processed crap. And they know what they're doing. Those food scientists, right? <laughs> they know how to mix the salt and the well, sugar and the fat just right to get us uh, hooked. Well, you're exactly right. And, and it's, a, it's a science. Um, I mean, you really yeah. nailed it. And it's very interesting. And, and this was first really discussed um, some years ago by a former uh, head of the FDA, uh, David Kessler. Yes, uh, Dr. David Kessler. Book. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and, and I love the book. And as somebody who's a total nerd about this stuff, I love the information. But I got to say, I started reading it and I could tell it was written by a doctor because it was like this study and that study. And you kind of read it and put it down and, you know, have a cup of coffee yeah. and go back and read the, the next study. But what he <laughs> really showed in there is what you highlighted, which is from, you know, our food and food pathways have changed dramatically in the last, you know, um, really 75 years since the onset of the Industrial Revolution, but particularly really last last 75 years or so. And, you know, our physiology has not kept pace with the technological and industrial changes. So our bodies are pretty much the same as they were, you know, when we were just getting out of treetops and, you know, running from saber-toothed tigers on the Serengeti, uh, you know, yeah. hundreds of thousands, if not millions of years ago. And what that does is leaves us physiologically vulnerable to manipulation of the food in terms of seeking out fats and sugars and salt. And in fact, many psychiatrists and psychologists and and other behavioral scientists feel that our innate drive to get salt, because as an omnivore, we must seek it out, unlike true carnivores who get all their sodium requirement from the flesh that they eat, we have a drive to seek it out. And, and some say that is the basis for all human addictive behavior, which is which is pretty powerful. So you can see how our food, our food drives really influence and shape, you know, all of mankind, humankind. Yeah. Speaking of drives, you have a chapter, Food and Sex. Can you smell what's cooking? Tell us about that. <laughs> <laughs> can you smell what the doc is cooking? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you know. That really, again, you know, goes back because if you look um, at, you know, and for people who do counseling and, and things like that, you know, one of the most effective therapies, you know, I'm, I'm told is still kind of the romantic dinner uh, in, mm. in terms of establishing human bonding. And it's a, it's a powerful thing, and it relates almost, if you will, to sort of a, a mating ritual. And that ritual, of course, involves food. And, and so if you look, again, at the history of humankind, what you find is that, you know, uh, there are drivers, there's aggression, war, there's food, and there's sex. And those seem to be, you know, big three in our history as a species. And so what that chapter explores is why is that so? And what we find is that our response, the way we respond to food, is very similar to the way we respond uh, to sex. And just as, you know, a loving relationship, a marriage, whether you're dating, you have significant others, uh, whatever it is, whomever it is in your life, that, that you care about and love, you know, it's more than the act of procreation. And when we look at our relationship with food, it lives in that same area of our brain. And lo and behold, we find that our relationship with food as a human being, as a species, is much, much more than simply eating.
sustenance. You know, we're not cattle uh, that go out and just graze to fill our bellies because that's what we've got to do all day. It, It is intricately linked to our emotional centers, our pleasure centers, our subconscious, et cetera. And what's very interesting is that our, our response to food uh, is driven by all our senses, but primarily driven by the taste of uh, the sense of smell and taste. And unlike any of our other four senses, uh, this, the sense of smell is a, essentially a direct extension of our brain. So when we feel something, when we see something, when we hear something, it goes through a multi-step processing in our brain. Smell, man, it goes right to, forgive our the pun here as a cardiologist, but right to the heart of the matter. It goes right to our memory limbic type system. And, and that's why, you know, you can be sitting there and you'll smell this perfume or aftershave or cologne And you'll think about somebody that you hadn't thought about in 10 years, and you'll get this flood of memories. And it's because that response is directly wired to that center. So I think that when we talk about food, when we talk about eating, when we talk about the food experience, you know, to to approach it in a strictly dry, clinical, you know, you must eat this, don't eat that, you know, be rigid, you're in control. Uh, It's sort of a monastic uh, approach to food. And I think that that's why so many of these dietary approaches, for a number of other reasons as well, but so many of them fail because it's, it's sort of like telling people, oh, well, you know, don't have sex. Um, you know, go live yeah. in a monastery. <laughs> that works for a select few, but by and large, it is not going to work for the for most of the human population. And you know, I, and I think you would you would agree with that. I mean, what, what what's your take on that? Hang on, more with Lisa Davis coming up. Now, you know mindful eating is an essential part of self-care. We all know that every part of our life is enhanced when we eat nourishing, healthy meals. But eating right can be hard to maintain. You know it, and I know it. But that's where Sunbasket comes in to help. With 18 weekly recipes, there is something for everyone. Now, recently, I enjoyed making chicken parmesan and black bean cauliflower tostadas Diablo. Mm-hmm. Enough said. So here's the deal. Sunbasket makes it easy and convenient to cook healthy, delicious meals at home, no matter how much experience you have in the kitchen. And there's paleo, gluten-free, vegetarian, vegan, and pescatarian options. Sunbasket works with the best farms and suppliers to bring you fresh organic produce and responsibly raised meats and seafood all delivered to your door. Just go to sunbasket.com slash talk healthy to learn more and get $35 off your first order. That's sunbasket.com slash talk healthy for $35 off sunbasket.com slash talk healthy. And now back to Lisa Davis. totally agree. I think that makes so much sense. And and I think everything you're saying is so fascinating. I love the way you express yourself, by the way. <laughs> I really do. You know, I, well, I I'm definitely not pithy, some, oh, that's for ahead. sure. Yeah. <laughs> I, was say, I said, you know, I won't find, I'm definitely not pithy about it. That's for sure. 
<laughs> well, in the book also you have, uh, you're looking at the best diet and you say there's three characterizations, a collection of food and drink that gives us pleasure through consumption because it looks, smells and tastes delicious. It makes life enjoyable and satis- satisfies our soul. Uh, it should provide our bodies with the essential nutrients and minerals to ma- maintain life. Uh, it should sustain our bodies and it shouldn't kill us. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you this know, it's a lot true. up in the it's air, right? Because what's, Oh, go ahead. I was going to say what smells and tastes delicious to some might be crap, right? So you have to, it's kind of tough because you got to get the, but then you have the nutrients though, right? The essential nutrients. And minerals well, you know, I think that we have to draw a difference um, because, uh, you know, as you mentioned with um, the work done by David Kessler and, and you referred to the food yeah. industry, uh, you know, with this sort of addiction is really what the modern Western diet is. So, you know, we have to look at uh, first breaking an addiction if it is, um, you know, sort of the modern Western diet of convenience that we find ourselves addicted to uh, before we can even really talk about delicious food. Because I think what you find, I certainly often observe people. I I travel a a great deal as you do. And I watch, you know, I just people watch, you know, in airports and sitting, waiting to catch this flight or others, et cetera. You know, we look at patients in waiting rooms and and whatnot. And I find that people eat mindlessly, um, which we address later in the book when we talk about mindfulness and, and eating. Yes. And I think a lot of times that is a result of the addiction of the modern Western diet. We're not tasting our food, Lisa. We're just, you know, getting a fix, if you will. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you ever saw that movie. Um, I think it was Morgan Spurlock who did Super Size Me. Um, Yeah, I love that. Yes. And and he talks about it. And I think he summed it up in a way that really captures the essence of it. He said, you know, I started this. I didn't even do fast food. And um, he said, you know, two weeks into eating it every day for every meal, I found myself, you know, at 11 o'clock just thinking about going through that drive through and what I was going to get. And that's an addiction. And, and so we really have to break the addiction, learn to taste again, awake, uh, reawaken our senses. And then, you know, we can start to talk about, you know, an approach to diets in terms of flavor profiles and, you know, what we find delicious and, and what we don't. You know, we, we can't talk about enjoying great wines and doing a wonderful wine tasting if all the folks who are showing up are just addicted to alcohol and they're just looking for a quick fix. Um, you know, that that's not going to work. And so that's kind of, for me, a, a similar analogy. We have to break an addiction first if that's where we find ourselves and then move on to looking, you know, at, at the diet. And, and fortunately, what I find is that when folks get beyond this modern Western convenience-based processed and ultra-processed foodstuffs, their response is much like when I, my patients quit smoking. You know, they come in uh, and I finally get a patient to quit smoking and they say, Lisa, you know, I can't believe it. Um, you know, I used to smoke two packs a day and now I can't even walk into a room where somebody smells like cigarettes because it grosses me out and I don't want any yeah. part of it. And you get somebody to get off this kind of food, uh, which I use the term very loosely, air quotes out exactly. there, everybody. <laughs> and, and, and what you find is they come back and they say, you know, I can't even go back and eat that food. I don't crave it anymore. And when I smell it, it kind of makes me a little ill. Um, and, yeah. and so that tells you uh, 
one, how adaptable the human species is, that we can adapt ourselves uh, as we might need to in a short term to kind of survive that, um, you know, but how how powerful uh, and how vulnerable uh, we are, you know, to those uh, powerful manipulations. Yeah, it's true. You know, we only have a few minutes left. What do you hope people take away from the book in terms of do you see it as uh, helping them with lifestyle change at all? I do, because you definitely don't yeah. want to eat sad food after reading this, <laughs> the standard American diet, by the way. <laughs> well, 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 absolutely. And I also want them to, to understand and appreciate that we're talking about a food experience. And so mm-hmm. often the discussions are only framed these days in terms of RDAs and percent fat and low salt. And, and we don't eat any of those things. We eat food. And food is an experience, and it is part and parcel of the human experience. And so we're talking about our lives here. Let's make them quality. Let's make them authentic, real. Uh, so it's, a, it's about using um, the tools of the shaman, authenticity, uh, you know, sovereignty, taking control, speaking from the center, uh, if you will, and, and applying it to that aspect of our life, which is really so much the basis of our relationships um, and ongoing interpersonal interactions with those we care about, our society and culture uh, at large. So I'm hoping people understand and get excited about a food experience. And let's get beyond these silly notions of of diets and eat this and eat that. Yeah, I agree. We got to stick with the whole foods, right? Just eat real food. You know, how can we be authentic, real human beings, um, which is, is, is what I feel, you know, Mark Twain's quote said, you know, the two most important days in your life are the day you were born and the day you find out what you were born to do. And how do we get, do we get to that point to find, you know, our truth, our authenticity, our sovereignty, if we're feeding ourselves a bunch of fake crap? Um, you know, show me what you eat and I will show you who you are. No truer words were spoken and certainly applicable today. Oh my gosh. I love that. All right, Michael, tell us all the ways we can find you. And before I let you go, tell us a little bit about your show, Code Delicious. Oh, uh, well, actually, um, the the show is, uh, we have a a podcast, which you're going to be on in a couple weeks. Uh, Thank you very much. Folks do not want to miss that. Uh, and that's uh, a journeys into quantum food, uh, which oh, is a I'm podcast, sorry. and they can find that. <laughs> that's okay. The Code Delicious was was the previous uh, incarnation. So as we've talked about, what is quantum food? It's an evolution, and that was kind of reflected in in the podcast as well. So we're we're delving deeper into the cauldron, as it were. Um, and uh, they can find that and all the books and information. Uh, One stop shopping at www.chefdrmikechefdrmike dot com and uh, you can follow me on Twitter and Facebook and everything from there. Awesome. Mike, this was so much fun. I learned a ton and I want to thank everyone for listening. If they want to find out more, they can go to it's your health with Lisa Davis.com. Everything is there. You can find me on Twitter as well at health media gal one and at talk healthy, the number two day as well. Thanks for listening. Eat real food and stay well.